I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> if you want to stick a, a bookmark there or the ribbon in your Bible there and put your finger or something else in Mark chapter 1, we're going to be in those two texts this morning. <clears throat> As you're finding your place, I wonder how many times in a typical day do you find yourself speaking, no one is listening. Probably most of us would, would concur that that's a, a regular uh, situation in our lives. You might be speaking to your kids, you, you might be speaking to your coworkers, you might be speaking to your spouse or a friend, a neighbor, but it uh, doesn't matter what you're saying or how much you're saying, no one is listening. That seems to be a recurrence in a lot of our lives. On the flip side, how many times in a typical day do you find that others are speaking to you but you're not listening. Does that happen? Yeah, it happens to us. Sometimes I feel like I'm speaking up here and you're not listening to me. <laughs> it happens all the time. And when it happens, it can be frustrating, especially for the one who's speaking. I, I don't think the one who's not listening gets frustrated at all, but the one who's speaking, it can be very frustrating because that person who's speaking and expecting someone to listen is exerting energy, exerting time, exerting effort, and trying to make a point, a rational point, and, and all of the things that are being said are falling on deaf ears. And so if it frustrates us as a speaker when those things happen, imagine how the Lord feels when He speaks and His people do not listen. One of the overarching themes that we find throughout the Bible is that of God speaking to mankind. Very early on in the history of the Bible, the history of mankind, we find God speaking to Adam in Genesis 2. God comes to Adam after he creates him and he always has this a time where he spends with Adam and they converse and, and Adam enjoys the presence of God. But in those times, God is speaking to Adam. He's commanding Adam to do certain things, to not do certain things. So God spoke early on with Adam. God spoke with Noah, told him to go and build an ark. God spoke to Abraham, found him in Nineveh, and told him to get up and go to a place that he hadn't even told him about yet. God spoke to Jacob as he rested that night on a rock. God spoke to Joseph. He spoke to Moses in the burning bush. He spoke with Samuel there in the tabernacle. Uh, multiple times God's voice was heard there in the tabernacle, and only Samuel could hear it. And finally... Finally, he began to recognize who was speaking to him. God spoke to David. God spoke to the prophets. God, as we read in the New Testament, spoke to the apostles, the disciples and the apostles, and to the early church. See, as we study the Bible, we discover that the people of God prospered when they listened to God and his word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, there God lays out in the law that if you will listen and obey and abide by what I have said, you will prosper. But if you fail to listen, if you fail to obey, then cursing will follow you. We also discover that when they, the people of God fail to listen, as I just said, destruction always followed them. Uh, I've been reading, as I always do, through the Bible in a year, and so I have just finished Isaiah. I finished uh, Jeremiah finished Lamentation in the last month, and now I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, and what you're hearing is God speaking to a people that have not listened to him. They've walked in rebellion, and as, as, as a result, they have been exiled 
from the land that God gave to their forefathers. Sometimes I hear people will say something like this to me. They say, Pastor, I just wish God would speak to me. I wish God would show me what his plan for my life is. I wish he would show me the direction I'm supposed to be walking, the direction I'm supposed to be leading my family. And my response to a statement like that is always, he has spoken and he is speaking. You see, the question is not so much, is God speaking? Does God share with me his plan for my life? Does God have something to say to me? The question is, do I have ears that can hear what God is already speaking into my life? Because the truth is, what we see in Scripture is, is that God speaks. God always speaks. God has spoken. The question comes down to, am I listening to what God has to say? Am I hearing from God? Do I have an ear to hear? Do we have ears to hear today in this culture? Do we have ears to hear today in our church? Do we have ears to hear today as an individual follower of Jesus Christ? Am I listening to what God has already said and what God continues to say to me? Because God has spoken to us in his word and he continues to speak to us through it. So are we Listen, this morning I want to speak to the subject of listen to hear. How can we listen to hear? How do we l- turn our ears toward the Lord and actually hear what He is saying? Because oftentimes, going back to what I was started out with, oftentimes we can listen, or at least we kind of we loosely hear what people are saying, but we're not paying attention. Our t- focus is not there, so we're missing the bulk, if not all, of what's being said from another individual. That also happens spiritually in our relationship with the Lord. And so what I want to do is I want to direct our attention to Revelation chapter 2 and just one verse, actually half of a verse that we find here in Revelation 2.7. It's the same thing that we see in all seven of these letters. Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, in each of these seven letters that we're working through, we've already worked through the letter to the church at Ephesus. We've worked through the letter to the church at Smyrna next Sunday. Lord willing, we will work through the letter to the church at Pergamum. But what we see in all of these seven letters is Jesus making the same profound statement. The same Greek text, the same thing is translated into English. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All seven letters God is speaking to the individual church, but the context, he's speaking to all believers to receive and to understand the message. Call for those who had an ear to hear what the Spirit was saying to the churches. And so he calls for believers to listen with the intent to hear. Not just loosely listening, not apathetically listening, not passively listening, but Jesus here is calling the church, he's calling believers to listen with intent to what God is speaking over their lives. So today we're going to pause as we work through these seven letters and look and see what it means to listen to hear. 
Obviously, this was something important. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't make the same statement seven different times. You see, as you read through the Bible, anytime God makes a statement in his word more than once, you can just go ahead and take it to the bank that he really is emphasizing that point. That's not to say that everything else is not as important. Everything God says is important. But when there's an emphasis by repetition, we need to clue in. And here it comes seven different times. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit speaks or says to the churches. And so this is something profound, it's something important, and we need this, this evening or whatever time of day this is, this morning. We all got an extra hour of sleep last night, right? So we should be good. It feels like afternoon because we've been up so long. Uh, let's look and see what God has to say about how to listen to hear. Two realities I want to share with you this morning as we get started about this. Reality number one, listening requires the right or the proper equipment. Listening requires the proper equipment. I, I really do enjoy flying. Some of you like it. Some of you detest it. Some of you won't even get up on a plane, right? I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up, but we may know who you are. But I, I, I enjoy it. I remember the first time I ever flew, I was in college and had an opportunity to fly from Northwest Arkansas down to Dallas for a one-day little uh, training with some student ministry stuff. So I got on a Continental Airlines flight back in the day, and I flew from Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport to uh, DFW, I believe, and, uh, and, or might have been Love Field, got off the plane, went to the thing, but I remember sitting on the tarmac just before we took off, my first flight ever, and it felt like it just threw me back into the seat, and I'm like, glory to God, this is awesome. <laughs> I've never had that feeling ever since. I've always wanted this same feeling, but it never feels like that anymore, but I really enjoy flying, and uh, it used to be that when you uh, flew, you had to bring your own entertainment on a flight back in the day. Now it's changed. In fact, I, all the international flights I've taken for the last few years and most of the domestic flights now have their own entertainment systems. They provide those for the passengers. They're in the back of the seat in front of you and so they'll have movies and TV shows and games and music and you can watch the... The, the, the screen, and it'll show where you're at in the world, your flying information. And so there's all kinds of things to, to uh, pass the time. And that's what it's all about. It's an amenity that helps you to pass the time, especially on a long flight. However, the entertainment, think about this, it's only as good as the headphones you bring with you or they provide. And if you get the headphones that the airline provides, at least the ones I've had, you can't hear anything except everything else in the cabin but you can't hear what you want to hear that's on the screen. And so I always bring my own headphones, and I always stress heavily to the people I take with me overseas, bring a good set of headphones. You're going to be on that plane a while. You want to have something to pass the time. And so you've got to have the right equipment in order to listen to what you want to hear. Words are being spoken if you have bad headphones. Words are being spoken on the screen, but nothing is being heard. Jesus here in Revelation 2 says, he who has an ear. The implication is that some have ears and some do not. He who has an ear gives the idea that some may not have the ability to hear. So uh, uh, physically, now most everyone is born with this capacity to hear. Not everybody, but most everybody is born with the capacity to to hear. They have ears. Most, if not all people are born with ears, but sometimes their ears may not work properly, but the vast majority of us have the capacity, have the ability to hear. Spiritually, this is not the case. 
Spiritually, no one is born with the ability to hear from God. There's not even the capacity to hear because the Bible tells us in places like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that we are all born dead in our trespasses and sins. Physically, yes, born alive. Spiritually, no, we're born dead. And dead people do not hear. I've been to a lot of funerals, been to a lot of funeral visitations. And sometimes, especially when a, a person has a large family or a person had a lot of friends, knew a lot of people in the community, during that visitation, whether it's at the church or the funeral home, it can get loud in that room. We've had some of those in the last couple months of our church families who have lost loved ones. And so you go to visit there and, and you've got to shout to the person three feet in front of you because there's so many people trying to talk over I've never one time in a situation like that been there talking with family members and friends and we're telling good stories and all that stuff and all of a sudden the deceased sets up in the casket and says, you guys need to turn it down, it's loud in here. If that happened, I don't know about you, but I'd be beating the trail out the door. <laughs> Dead people don't hear. Dead people are physically incapable of hearing. Spiritually, what the Bible teaches us is that we all, because of our sin, are born into this world, dead, cut off, separated from God. Therefore, we don't even have the capacity to hear what he is speaking over and to our lives until salvation begins to take place. You see, in salvation, God calls two people and he gives them the capacity to respond. Here's something that you may... Uh, make it understand a little, bit, a little bit easier to understand. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, the Bible tells us that the Lord gave Lydia an open heart to understand or to hear what Paul was saying. Paul's preaching the gospel. And so the Lord, God's Spirit, opened up Lydia's heart, this woman who was a pagan, this woman who was a, uh, an idolater, this person who was dead in her sin and trespasses like all of us were at one point, and God opened her heart enough so that she would want to and could hear what the gospel was me being said or how it was being said by the apostle Paul. And so you might think of it like this. When God opened up Lydia's heart, a person who was dead in her sins and trespasses, no ability to hear from God, when he opened up her heart just like for a moment... It was like someone who's under cardiac arrest, no pulse, medically dead, and the defibrillator has been brought out, the paddles have been rubbed together, and they've been placed upon the chest, the charge is discharged into the body, and all of a sudden there's the capacity now for the heart to respond. That's what God does for us in salvation. He gives us an opportunity to hear the gospel, to understand the gospel, and in faith and repentance to walk in or grab hold of the gospel message and put our faith in Jesus. And as a result, the person is now alive to God and possesses the capacity to hear from him. Listening requires the proper equipment. Spiritually, if we're going to hear from God, we've got to be in relationship with him. And thankfully, God gives us that capacity. There's a second reality I want to share with you about hearing. That's hearing necessitates an intentional choice. He who has ears, here's what Jesus says, let him hear. There's an intentional choice that the follower of God has to make in his or her heart and mind to say, I want to hear from God. I want to 
heed what God is saying. I want to follow what God is saying. I want to believe what God is saying. I want to take it to the bank in my life. So the work of Christ in the heart of the believer has now provided this capacity to listen to God's spirit. So it's incumbent now upon the person, he or she, to choose to hear what the spirit is saying. Hearing from God is a choice. It's a choice that the believer makes in his or her life. That's why I believe seven different times through these seven different churches, the Spirit of God, Jesus here is saying to the church, he who has an ear, let him hear. Make an intentional choice to hear what I'm saying and to heed it in your life. Again, God is always speaking. He is always leading. He is always directing. He is always warning of upcoming danger. So the, really the question for you and I is this. Am I listening? Do I have an ear that is intentionally choosing to hear what he says to me? Requires the proper equipment. It necessitates, excuse me, an intentional choice. Unfortunately, too many times... What I've seen is that believers only intentionally choose to hear from God when life is imploding around them. You ever been there in that, in that situation in your life? You're a follower of Jesus. You have been redeemed through the blood of Christ. You know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven because you've put your faith in Jesus. But for whatever reason, you're kind of walking in a guilty distance and, and there's real no fellowship with God. There's no desire to know God more. There's no uh, hunger for Him. There's no uh, des uh, desire to, to know His Word and to pray and to seek His face. But when life begins to get hard, when it begins to implode, what is our natural response? Thankfully, what is our natural response? We run to Him, right? I, I believe God firmly I firmly believe that God shows us in his word that there are times that he either uses circumstances to drive us to himself or he causes circumstances to drive us to himself. So I'm not knocking how the implosion of life around us moves us toward him. I'm just making the statement that there are times in our lives that that's the only time we are making an intentional choice. It shouldn't be the case. Either way, those times or circumstances drive us to him and we all of a sudden intentionally turn our ears toward the Lord. Shouldn't always be the case though. We shouldn't live on a spiritual roller coaster. God desires intimacy. He desires fellowship with his children. He desires to walk and talk with us much like he did with Adam in the garden. And so this requires a choice. It's one that we must continually make. Every single day, you ought to make a conscious choice in your life. I want to hear from God. I want my ears to be tuned to his frequency. I want to listen. I want to hear. I want to follow. And I want to obey. Jesus continually made this choice in his own life. See, not only could he listen to the Father, Jesus wanted to listen to the Father. I told you to put your finger there in Mark chapter 1. If you will go there with me. Mark chapter 1, we see a, a, a day in the Lord's life. Mark kind of gives us a, a synopsis of a, of a particular day in the life and ministry of Jesus early on in his ministry. And uh, it's interesting that Mark lays out the entire day for us because Mark's gospel has this theme of immediacy. And so Mark moves very quickly through the 16 chapters. In fact, he uses the word immediately multiple times, so it's just kind of the theme there, but for whatever reason, through the Holy Spirit, Mark gives us a, not just a snapshot, but a real description of the life and ministry of Jesus on a particular day. 
And here in this chapter, we see Jesus in Capernaum, and his ministry, or his day that was filled with ministry, was absolutely exhausting. That morning, we see early on in the chapter, verse 21 and following, that he had went to the synagogue, so this would have been a Saturday morning, this was the Sabbath, and so as a visiting teacher, he was invited to speak, and so he preached and taught there while he's at the synagogue, as he's among these Jewish believers, uh, a demon-possessed man began to disrupt the service with all sorts of loud questions. And you, I mean, only can you only imagine a situation like that? I mean, a Sunday morning we're gathered for church and um, we're singing songs, or the preaching's taking place, and all of a sudden a demon-possessed man just jumps up and and he's being what a demon-possessed man would do. He's being crazy. That's what happens. So Jesus calms the situation down. He casts out the demon, but he doesn't go quietly. Everybody's uh, focused in on, uh, on this uh, peculiar sa- Saturday at the synagogue. And so um, things are kind of crazy. Things are out of hand. But Jesus cast the demon out. After the service, a typical Jew would uh, go and, and enjoy their Shabbat lunch, which would have lasted for two to three hours. And so they would have been entertained. This would have been more... For Jesus, it wouldn't just be a relaxing time for him. He's talking, he's conversing, he's ask, answering questions, he's engaged in ministry. When they finish, they return home. They find Simon and Andrew's mother sick and in bed. And so Simon and Andrew come to Jesus. They say, My, our mom's sick. Jesus, can you do something? Jesus now is, again, having to go in there and exert energy and heal their mother. She gets up, she waits on them. Because of all the things that had happened that morning, because of the news that had been spread throughout the town that we see in verse 28, the people of the city come to Jesus, bringing a large crowd, and with the large crowd, they're bringing sick and demon-possessed people. And Mark tells us that Jesus sat there that night for who knows how many hours, and he ministered to each and every one of them. All the sick were healed, all the demon-possessed were made right. So now it's late into the night, right? Late into the night, Jesus is tired. Jesus is exhausted. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And so his humanity is absolutely exhausted. Finally, late at night, he gets to go to bed. But look at verse 35. You see that early the next morning, he rises from bed, goes to a quiet place to get alone with the Father. Look what it says, verse 35. Rising fairly early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We see here that Jesus placed a priority on prayer. He placed a priority on prayer that strengthened and sustained his life and ministry. His conscious decision to be with the Father is what sustained him throughout the day. Prayer was a priority for Jesus. Regular fellowship with the Father kept him strong. It kept him focused. It kept him close. See, when everyone around him thought they knew best about what Jesus should be doing, and they thought that Jesus, because of all the miracles that he was doing there in Capernaum, that he should just kind of sit down here, continue to heal the people, continue to cast out demons, because where else could you have such a successful ministry as right here? 
But Jesus says, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. We need to go to the next towns because I'm not just about meeting physical needs. I'm about meeting spiritual needs because I'm connected to the Father and I'm doing His will. It was an intentional choice. Jesus' example here in Mark chapter 1 gives us a blueprint of how we can and should listen to hear. So two questions that we need to ask of ourselves regularly. Question number one, how can I prepare myself to listen? How do I prepare myself to listen? In a world that is chaotic, in a world that is loud, in a world that is busy, in a culture that is fast and quickly moving, how in the world can I prepare myself to listen? I find it, and maybe it's because I'm getting older these days, but I find it hard to listen and have a conversation in a real crowded room with a lot of ambient background noise. Maybe I need hearing aids. I'm not so sure yet. We went to Texas Roadhouse the other night, and um, we're eating dinner, and, man, it was nuts. It took an hour or so to get in there, and food's always good, but it's just crazy. And so we're back there, and this big old family was having, like, I guess a birthday party or something. They're loud and crazy, setting off door alarms. And, and I, I just, personally, I just could not enjoy it because I, I couldn't hear to have even a conversation. So if Kara wanted to talk to me, I'm just like, hmm, I, I really can't hear you. And uh, it's just that's the culture though we live in. It's so busy. It's so noisy. So how can we prepare ourselves to listen? Here, three or four things that I want to share with you. First of all, eliminate the noise. Eliminate the noise. For Jesus, here going back to Mark chapter one. For Jesus, again, the crowd was large. It was the entire city had come out, and so if the whole crowd's there, if the whole city's there, then it's loud. The noise was off the charts. Both the people and the disciples, again, knew exactly what Jesus' ministry should, should be. So the people were saying, you need to stay, you need to do this. And so there's this noise coming from the people saying, this is what you should be doing. The crowd is saying, I need you, I need you, I need you. And Jesus, in his humanity, is probably like we would be. What should I be doing? I can't hear because there's all of these voices coming at me. What did Jesus do? He eliminates the noise. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where it's quiet. See, Jesus knew his ministry was to preach the gospel in the next towns. How was he able to know that? Because he eliminated the noise in his life and was able to hear from the Father. He was able to know the Father's will because he prepared himself to listen by cutting out the noise. He got away by himself to pray. We need to do that in our lives. You, you have to cut out time in your life to be able to hear from God. You've got to do that. Here's the second thing. Set aside time. We see here that Jesus, because of his schedule, had to schedule time to be with the Father. You say, well, that's not very um, um, relational that you've got to put the father on the calendar. You've got to put him in. I guess we don't have daytimers anymore, but you've got to write him in your daytime. You've got to put him in your phone. Well, that's life. That's life. And Jesus had to do that as well. He had to schedule time to be with the father because ministry was busy for him. There were a lot of demands on his time. So in order to be prepared to listen, Jesus had to carve out time in his schedule to make time to pray and to fellowship with the Father. Therefore, he rose early in the morning. Before everyone else was awake, before the busyness of the day took place, before all the needs were hitting him in the face, Jesus got up so his heart 
could be prepared. You've got to set time. It's been said, if you don't manage your calendar, someone else will. Third thing, focus your attention. Jesus here went to a place where he could focus his attention on the Father. What he didn't do is choose to spend his time with the Father while also ministering to the people. He didn't do it while eating dinner with the disciples. And so for us, the same is true. We need time to prepare by making it possible to focus our undivided attention upon the Lord. We've got to carve out time. We've got to put it on our calendar. We've got to focus our attention. If you, uh, if you want to know God, if you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, and you want to spend time in His Word, you shouldn't do that with distractions around you. Get away so you can be focused on the Lord. Fourthly, <clears throat> desire to be with Jesus. Here Jesus prepares him, himself to be able to listen <clears throat> to the Father simply because he desired to be with the Father. You see, what's important to you, you will do. He enjoyed this time because he loved the Father. He invested this time because he needed to be with the Father. It was important to him. His desire was to be with the Father. It reminds me also of a story of another uh, family with Jesus or friends with Jesus. You remember in Mark chapter or Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> Jesus comes back to Bethany and he's there with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, their brother that eventually died and, and Jesus resurrected. But in Luke chapter 10, we see there that Martha is busy. Martha's doing what Martha does. I, I, a lot of times I'm like a Martha. I'm just doing things all the time and, and I really have to focus and, and sit and be a Mary where you're just sitting at the feet of Jesus because you just simply want to be with him. Rather than just always doing something, Mary was saying, I want to be with Jesus. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says something to Martha. He says, Martha, 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 you're troubled about many things. Mary has chosen the better. She's just simply sitting at my feet. She's enjoying my company. That ought to be the desire of our hearts, that we just simply want to be with Jesus. But unfortunately, what I see in the average Christian is that the prayer life, if the average Christian is anemic, simply because the average Christian does not desire to be with Jesus. Really, the only time the average Christian, and I hope I'm wrong with this, but I, I, I'm, I'm convinced I'm not. What I see in the average Christian is that the times we desire to be with Jesus is when life is so difficult we have no other options than to go to Jesus. We're out of strength, we're out of money, we're out of friends, we're out of hope. And so the only place we can go now to get any of that is Jesus. But he should have been the very first person we went to because it ought to be a daily fellowship with him. There's a second question we need to ask. How can I prepare myself to be sensitive to hear? Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So how can I prepare myself to be sensitive to hear? Three things. Number one, read the Bible. Romans 10, 17. Uh, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How am I ever going to have an ear that hears what God is wanting to say and is saying to my life and into my heart? Well, you've got to read the Bible. That's the word of God given to us. Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the written word. It is a finished word. And so if you want to know what God is saying over your life and to your heart, read the Bible. Spend time reading the Bible. Read it systematically. 
uh, on a daily basis. Read it devotionally in your life. God speak to us, speaks to us, and He speaks through His Word. Secondly, avoid sin. Avoid sin. If you want to continue to have a heart that's sensitive and ears that are sensitive to God in your life, and you want to know what God is saying to you, you can't have a sinful heart and expect to hear. It just doesn't happen. It clouds everything. James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so if we're living in sin, if we are desirous of sinful things, then there's no way that we will have ears that are sensitive to God's word to us. Why? Because God's word would bring us to deep conviction and lead us to repentance. And sin never leads us to that. Sin wants to hang out in the shadows. Sin wants to be in the closet. Sin wants to be in dark places. The Word of God, the truth of God, brings it into the light and sheds the truth upon it. And so we can't be a friend with the things of this world, the sinful things of this world, and expect to hear from God. And so avoid sin like the plague. I love how Joseph avoided sin in his life in the book of Genesis where uh, Potiphar's wife was trying to entrap him in some sort of adulterous affair there in the home when her husband's away and, and one day she grabbed hold of him and he was so determined to avoid sin in his life he kind of just snaked out of his cloak and ran off and she held his garments in, in her hand. Now it cost him, he got thrown in prison for it but he was a righteous man and held to his integrity. You can't walk in fellowship with the Lord while simultaneously walking in rebellion against Him. Sin dulls our ability to hear from God because it dulls our desire to hear from Him. Thirdly and lastly, <clears throat> avoiding sin leading, leads us, reading the Word, avoiding sin leads us to obey the Word. Obey the Word. James 1, 21 through 25 says, Therefore, <clears throat> put away all filthiness, and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness <clears throat> the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he, is, he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So hearing and obeying God's word leads to further hearing and obeying God's word. If you want to know God's plan for your life, God's purpose for your life, what God has to say to you, you need to have ears that hear what the Spirit of God is saying. How do you do that? Read His Bible. Read His Word. Avoid sin in your life. Obey the Word that you're reading. So many times we find ourselves speaking. No one's listening. Y'all okay this morning? You're listening, right? Everybody's, I got your attention. Because this morning, I mean, because of what I've said, I, I just call you out, right? I've already told you that I feel like sometimes you don't listen. Sometimes we discover that someone has been speaking, but we haven't been listening, right? We're guilty of that. We do this to the Lord as well. We do this when we just go through motions. You see, the beauty of what the Bible tells us is that Jesus loves us so much 
He desires to be in relationship with us so much that he continues to pursue us, continues to speak over us, continues to try to lead us to him. I, I, one of the things, you know, we do bless every home where we play, pray for our neighbors, and one of the things I pray for the people in our community is, Lord, I pray that your goodness and your kindness would be so evident in their lives that it would lead them even out of their atheism and their secularism, if that's where they're at, the kindness of God would lead them to you. That, it, that there would be no explanation. Why am I so blessed in my life? It has to be a reason, and the reason is Jesus. I, I just pray that the kindness of God would lead them there. God loves us. He cares for us. And for that reason, he speaks to us. Do we have an ear to hear what the Spirit says? How do we respond to that? Every Sunday I close with three concepts of what the Bible teaches us. Three circles, if you will. The Bible tells us some good news. The Bible tells us that God has designed each and every one of you. See, the reason he loves you is because he designed you. Colossians 1.16 tells us that we've been made by God and for God. So I'm not an accident. You're not an accident. You're not here by chance. You're not sitting in this room by chance. The good news of God tells us that God loves you because he created you. Then there's some bad news. The bad news that the Bible tells us that in our uh, wonderful creation, in how God created us and provided everything for us, every one of us has fallen. We, fought, we followed the example of the first human beings, Adam and Eve. We looked at God and says, what you've told me is not good enough. I, I want that thing that you've forbidden. I want it in my life. I think it will benefit me. I think you're holding back on me. And because of their sin, we have been plunged into sin. Therefore, we, as I said earlier, are dead in our sins apart from Jesus Christ. That's the bad news. The good news, God loves us. God created us for a relationship with him. The bad news is that all of us have sinned, fall short of his glory, are under a just punishment because of that sin. And so our predicament is bleak. At best. Condemned to hell. But there's some best news that the Bible tells us. That through the gospel, sin is broken. The sinful nature that we have carried on generation after generation from Adam has left God's design broken in every single person. It's caused us to be separated from God. But today, in our sin, we are on the wrong side of the chasm. But Jesus can take us to the other side. You see, Jesus is the one, the sinless Son of God, fully God, fully man, took upon himself the sins of the entire world. And when those people put him on the cross, when he was falsely accused, he was doing that for you and for me. So that we could be in relationship with him. So that we could hear what he wants to say into our life. The Bible tells us that his blood was shed, that he died, he was placed in a tomb, that he was resurrected from the grave, and he did all of that so that we could be in relationship with him, so that we could experience a release from anxiety, a release from fears, a release from broken relationships and the things that sin has destroyed in us. We can have a deep relationship with God all because of Jesus Christ. That is the best news. That's what we sing about today. That's worth getting excited about. That's worth telling others about. The Bible tells us that we have a choice to make about this best news. See, I love the Bible. The Bible's true. The Bible doesn't uh, um, blur anything. The Bible doesn't try to cover other things. I mean, we, we see in the Bible that, that many of the characters just had major, major flaws. I mean, David, it says he's a man after God's own heart, but yet he commits adultery with the woman, covers up the sin by having her husband basically murdered. 
and yet God loves him and forgives him when we see his repentance in Psalm 51. And so what the Bible tells us in that, it, by not covering anything up, is that there's hope for us. That no matter how bad you are, there's hope for you. And you're given a choice to make. This morning, will you hear from God? And will you heed what he has to say? For some of you, this is what God's saying to you. The greatest need in your life is to be in relationship with me. I love you. I created you. I have done everything necessary to redeem you out of your sin and to bring you into fellowship with me. And what you need to do today is say yes to Jesus. That's what God's saying to some of you. Others, you are in relationship with Jesus. You've been a Christian for maybe a long time, but you're walking at a guilty distance. And that doesn't mean you're in gross sin. And from our standards, it just may mean that you're just kind of apathetic in your walk with Jesus. Not hot-hearted with Jesus. You're not like Jesus that just simply desires to be with the Lord. And God is saying to you today, your heart needs to be right. You need revival. And so what's the solution to all this? Faith and repentance. If you're not in relationship with Jesus, what do you need to do? You need to put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and turn from your sins and turn to him. What do you need to do as a follower of Jesus who's not where you need to be spiritually? Put your faith in Jesus. Not get saved again. I'm not talking about that. But turn your head, your eyes and your heart and your ears back to Jesus in faith and repent of the sin that's hindering fellowship. Faith and repentance. Let's pray. Father, this morning, that's our prayer. It's my prayer for my own life is that this morning would be a moment of faith and repentance. God, we thank you that you speak to us. God, we thank you that you speak to us because you love us. We thank you that you speak to us because you know what's best for our lives. And I pray this morning that every single person sitting here, everyone that may listen to this message in the coming weeks online, that our ears are hearing what you're saying to us. And hearing, we obey. So I pray for lost men and lost women and lost teenagers and lost children who need to come into relationship with Jesus, who need to turn from their sin and turn to the Savior. I pray today they will take a step in that direction, even in our time of response. Lord, I pray for Christians who are walking at a guilty distance. They're not as hot-hearted as they should be. They're complacent, apathetic, anemic, spiritually. Lord, may they hear what you're saying to them today and say, I've had enough of this. I want what Mary enjoyed at the feet of Jesus. And Lord, we know the solution for all of us is faith and repentance. May we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that the Bible tells us that when we do that, there is wide open arms ready to receive us. So bless this time of response. Holy Spirit, help our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All across the room, let's stand. Every Sunday, we have a time of response.